regular contributor, Neil. And I'm also pleased to say that another person who's contributed uh, to us a few times is a former player, and I'll call it media pundit on local airwaves, uh, Chris Honor. Welcome, Chris. Welcome, Neil. Hi, Dave. Happy to be here. Thanks very much for having me. Okay, guys, let's begin by uh, looking back on last season, how it outturned. I mean, there was an improvement on the previous campaign, marginal. Uh, I'll come to you first, Chris. Should we be satisfied that we ended where we ended? You know, have we sorted out a load of inherited rubbish over the last 12 months? I think um, there was only one way to go uh, after the season, the season before, really. It was, that was probably the most, the worst football I've seen in many, many years down there, maybe a decade. It was, it was dreadful. COVID didn't help. The lack of atmosphere in the ground, the poor, the performances were poor. Um, uh, and, and Nigel eventually, I think, got, got his players to do what he wanted. He installed a little bit of passion. Um, he keeps on using the word culture, culture in the dressing room that he's trying to um, install. He wants a winning mentality. He wants people with ambition um, and desire. And I think that was lacking under Holden, um, where I think the club become a little bit too nice, a little bit too easy to play against. We had players, journeyman footballers coming to Ashton Gate and picking up huge salaries who, who lacked ambition and, and, and a real winning mentality. And I think that's what Nigel's been trying to install. Mm. Neil, how do you feel about, about that? You know, trying to get a, a, a certain mentality. I mean, some of the players that you brought in this time last year in the close season, you know, they didn't contribute in maybe the manner that he'd hoped for as much as anything else, yeah? Because he brought in people that he knew. And James has just about been the one success there, hasn't it? Yeah, I think last summer was a difficult time in the transfer market. We were still going through the pandemic, although it hasn't, in fact, it hasn't really gone away now, has it? Who knows this summer with regards to the market, what the market's going to be. But definitely last summer was a was a difficult market. We didn't know when the income streams were going to be coming in again. It must have been a nightmare for Richard Gould to try and figure out what the budgets were and all the rest of it, other than what you already committed to with contracts. I think for me that the word that I would describe last season is frustrating. Mm. really I think it's frustrating for Nigel and I think it was frustrating for the fans and and that was symptomatic with the very first game of the season we went there we played well against Blackpool and then we conceded a goal in the 92nd minute yeah if you win that first game first victory at home brilliant off you lay last season to bed and you move forward whereas our first game of the season we had this frustrating Late, late equaliser by Shane Lavery. And then we went, what, 16, 17 <laughs> games at home and these late goals. We were struggling. And, I mean, and the that, whole thing sort of built from there, really, didn't it? That was symptomatic of parts of last season, wasn't it, Chris? That this inability to, I think we took the lead in 25 games, probably more than that. And that inability to hang on to the lead, that cost, I know we got wins at QPR with last minute goals and stuff like that, but that's a mental thing, isn't it? The number of times City did it last season threw away an advantage. Well, the stats were ridiculous, weren't they? That we'd lost so many games from the 85th minute onwards, uh, where we tossed away about 21 points, something like that. Um, 
yeah, if you can add them on at the end of the season, we I think we were just outside the playoffs or even inside the playoffs. Um, but you know, we, we never know what's going to happen. But as Neil just said, the Blackpool game really summarised our season because you usually start with one game at home and then two away. And once you you've lost your home, well, drawn your home game, um, you need a good start. You need you know, especially after the season that it was following, you needed a good start. You need a little bit of momentum. Um, and then we got into this little horrible habit of tossing away home points. And it, we made our season really difficult up until Christmas when we started finding a little bit of form. And then towards the end of the season, obviously, um, Vyman, Martin and, and, and Semenyo started building a, a partnership up front or understanding up front. And um, the season became a little bit more of a pleasure to watch. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, Neil, the, the bonus this season, we come on to the youngsters, but I mean, Andy Vyman, you know, I'll hold my hands up, you know, start of the season. I was saying lots of effort, minimum output, but was it 22 goals, 10 assists from Andy? I mean, that's the golden boot season of his career, contributing to a total Bristol City goal scored of 62, which is bettered, I think, only by four other clubs in the division. Mm. somehow, you know, there we are languishing in the bottom quarter of the table, but we, we got it right up front. And Andy Vyman, I mean, tremendous season for him and out of character to anything he'd done in his career previously. It was an incredible season, given given where we were in the summer, where we were thinking where the, where are the goals going to actually come from. And, you know, the, last season it was getting to the stage and possibly even at the start of this season it was getting to the stage where there was loud cheers and applause for a shot on target, mm. wasn't it, really? It wasn't even a goal that did it. We weren't creating much. I mean, I, I've, I've gone through a little bit through the stats of last year. If Ian was on, he would be absolutely <laughs> delighted to hear that. <laughs> but one of the things for me is, OK, I've got... We scored 60 goals. I think there were a couple of own goals. So that out of the 62, we scored 60 goals. Now, 42 of them came from WSM. Yeah. Okay. So very, very reliant on them. That's fine. But 50 assists, 29 of them came from those three, three players as mm. well. And that just shows really the imbalance in the team. We've been playing with wing backs. That Jada Silva, four assists. Mm. The season, Scott two assists playing at wing back. So we've been playing with a wing back system that you would imagine would generate mm. assists for those three. But really, realistically, actually, we've been relying on those three to not only score the goals, but amongst the three of them to actually generate create create, create them themselves create, anyway. Create the goals yeah, as well, mm. Chris. Let me come to you on that from the ex pro footballer perspective I mean let's look at Andy Vyman first of all that that you know if he has another season like that and we've shored up the defense and we're nailed on for the playoffs next season anyway but first of all on Andy Wyman I mean he's 31 this year that's a tremendous season from him isn't it that's absolutely brilliant absolutely amazing I mean I you um you well you share an opinion of him that I did last year I I just thought he he was a little bit of a out of control speedboat. He just used to run everywhere without an end product. You know, it was great that he had this fantastic work ethic because he drew, he, he dragged other players along with him, especially when you had a team that wasn't putting a lot of desire into the game. And he was obviously the manager's first pick because he, 
he embraced everything a manager wants. But now he's got an end product. He scored 22 goals, all those assists. And I think, um, well, I, I dread to think how our season would have panned out had he not played so well and scored so many goals. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, again, focusing on the WSM, not Western Supermare, but Vyman, Semenyo, Martin. Um, I read an interesting stat the other day that um, Chris Martin, again, good season from him as well, really, double figures, but he won more aerial duels than any other player in the championship. And I don't see Chris Martin as that sort of winner of aerial duels as such. Do you? I think that's because we, we throw the ball down the touchline like a bit schoolboyish every single get every time we get a throw in. I, I, I'm still puzzled by that. I mean, I do the commentary. Oh, lost you there for a minute, Chris. Neil, just picking, right, just picking up on. Yeah, uh, I mean the, the stat. I, I still oh, Chris, see. Sorry, Chris, you're back in the touchline. room. Just say that thing. Sorry, we're talking about something we need to work on. But, but we're talking about throwing. Sorry, say. Chris, we lost you. We lost you oh, there for a moment. Um, just oh, say that about throwing. Yeah, sorry, you know, the schoolboy throwing it down the line type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, if you, if you count all the throw-ins that he won, uh, headers from throw-ins he won, because um, I think that's a little bit schoolboyish. I don't see any other team in the championship especially just try to launch the ball down the down the touchline because they they have no other option and at the moment uh, all all season long I've seen that happen and I wondered where the midfield players are showing why we can't go backwards to go forward and sometimes you know Chris Martin's heading the ball down the touchline to himself or or just into an empty space and maybe that's something that we need to work on but if you count all those headers in then I, I'm not surprised he's he's at the top of the of the stats, but he's been a good target man. Both him and Vyman have come back from nasty injuries last year. Um, they're good, they're good, experienced pros. They've obviously worked very hard to keep their bodies intact um, following their injury problems. They've probably been in the gym for a good six months and uh, working on the rest of their body bodies, and they've come back with the results. And um, fair play to him because it's not easy when you hit your thirties. Yeah, Antoine's done really well this year as well, hasn't he? I mean, I I, I don't think I am overpraising him really, but I think he's got a lot of the tributes that Antonio has got for West Ham. And, you know, I mean, if we can hang on to him this summer, he's only going to get better, isn't he, in the season ahead? He's raw, he's got lovely skill, he's got good balance, he's strong, strong as an ox. Um, and now he's coming with an end product. He's, he's understanding the game, the game a little bit better. He's, he's making some good runs into channels. He's, he's coming towards the ball when he needs to come to the ball and act as a, as a, a springboard or a wall. Um, and he's influencing games massively. I mean, he's, he's the icing on our cake. Uh, he's just been an absolute revelation. And when he's not on the team, we just don't have that that free-flowing flowing runners into the channels that every team needs. And without him, we look at different propositions. So long may he stay at the club as well. Yeah. One of the things that uh, Neil just said uh, is the number of, no doubting the goals, but 29 out of 50 assists coming from those players. And obviously we're going to move on to the midfield now. 21, 21 I think. Was it 29 or 21 of, the, that, 50, of the 50 assists? Coming 29. From, 29 over half coming from self-generated from the front three. What does that say about the midfield, uh, Chris? And I'll come back to Neil on the same question, but what, you know, is that that lack of creativity would, you know, if we could get more from midfield, you know, 
Masengo, 80 appearances, two assists, zero goals. Is that what part of the problem has been? Uh, well, the stats, the stats don't lie, do they? I mean, I for me, I I, I feel there's there's always spaces in the channels in the championship. Um, lots of defences uh, tend to defend really narrow, which gives you the space down the sides. I, for me, I don't see De Silva going on the overlap enough. George Tanner has been injured, and we've we've played with 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 a, a number ten at uh, right back in in um, Alex Scott. Alex, yeah. Yeah, uh, Masengo for me, he he's added a lot to his game. Um, and if he leaves, he'll be he'd be sadly missed. But for me, he doesn't give us enough forward penetration. Um, he's not clever enough around the box. Um, he, he's more of a defensive midfielder, and he's added that to his game. Um, I think Joe Williams could be a little bit cleverer if he he manages a few more games, but. You know, with the new signing yesterday, um, hopefully we'll we recognise that problem, and we we're trying to add a little bit more to that um, that guile and cleverness that we've kind of missed since Patterson left the club. Mm. Neil, how do we keep WSM intact, but yet bolster the midfield? And we'll talk about the shape of the side in a minute. But you know, if you keep WSM intact, yeah. you have to. You know, what's your midfield? You know, and you got to play with wing backs. It seems to be his preference. How how do you accommodate Alex Scott, because who's been playing well, out of position? I I was up at Huddersfield. You <laughs> did. That, that's that's why we lost there. And I, I went with Masengo. I mean, I'm very indebted with Masengo. Just raising uh, Chris's point about Masengo to Dave Febs on this because Dave and I go back and forth on Masengo. I don't think he's ideally suited to the English game. Dave still rates him. We've gone through, from my viewpoint, the way he plays is um, more European in style, which is completely understandable given where he's come from. Dave talks about how he gets the ball, he drives forward, and then he expects runners off him, which is simply not what we do. He breaks the first line quite well, the first five yards, and then he stops. And he, Masengo, this is, mm. he, you know. But should the runners be the wing-backs and going past him, which indeed, they're not doing? Indeed. And you don't see but you don't see Scott as a pacey wick. You know, he's not going to show pace in that. But we also... And, and, sorry, and Chris has already said, Jay, although he's a better player than he was this yeah. time, he's got his head seems to be right, but he doesn't overlap enough. So is No, I, I always thought with Jay, he would be a better wing-back than a full-back. In that situation, and I, I know at the at the end of last year, Pearson was saying we need to get Jay back to that player that I know he can be. I mean, he's an England under twenty one international. Mm. He's a decent player, but we're not getting enough production out of our wing backs in any shape or form, and we're not stretching it. We're we're not stretching it full stop, really. Um, but with Masengo, he t- he tends to um, tackle with his upper body. He mm. tries to get an arm around rather than sort of leg in. Very European in, mm. in technique, really. And for me, if you're playing him in that centre midfield, I don't see him going with runners. He, do, he doesn't seem to go with his with his runners. He tends to sort of lose it. And he tends to be a little bit like we described Vyman before about this, I, playing, playing this running around. I can see entirely why he's popular with fans because 100% effort, 100% energy, running around like the Duracell bunny. 
Yeah. You know, I think he's quite high up in the championship stats with regards to chase down and pressing, just like Semenyo's second, I think Masengo's about sixth. Yeah. With regards to the pressing, absolutely fantastic. But you need more than that. Either you're going to be a defensive holding midfielder mm. or you're going to be an attacking midfielder. And I, I, I don't it see... falls where... between two stools. He does. He does. I mean, we need that defensive shield in front of, uh, of the back three because they're not the quickest in the world mm. um, if we're going to be playing three at the back. But I yeah. don't know whether or not we're going to be playing three at the back. Well, we're going we'll to go to the back four. Well, let's look at that in a second. Uh, Chris, let's look at the defence as it was. Uh, well, the defence, I mean, 72 goals, 77, 77. goals conceded. Um, I think only Peterborough let in more, maybe well, Peterborough and Reading let in more. I mean, we were shipping two goals a game when, and when you look at the coaching team of uh, Nigel and Curtis Fleming, two defenders of the highest order in their playing careers, come on, what was going wrong at the back, Chris, from a professional's view as you saw it, you know, because there was some experience there as well at times. Okay, losing Baker. Was a was a problem, but goodness me, you know we were all over the shop, weren't we? Hello, Chris. Sorry, can you say that again, Dave? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just saying, seventy-seven goals conceded, only two sides conceded more. From a pro's point of view, where were we getting wrong defensively? Come to come to me, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not because a, I'm, got, not, I'm not David. I, oh, he's back. He's oh, back. Back, back. Back in the room. room. Back in the room. David, I'm so I'm sorry about that. We had a Nigel Nigel Pearson. We had a Nigel Pearson night. moment there. Uh, That's all right. I can edit that little piece out. Let me just make a note of the timing on there. Ten twenty-five. There we go. I can edit that little hiatus back, and we'll take it again. Um, Seventy-seven goals conceded. <laughs> Two goals a game. We were shipping at one stage. Where's it gone? Where was it going wrong? From a defensive organisation coaching perspective, as you see it as a former pro? Honestly, David, there was times I watched last season and I thought it was bloody awful. I mean, it, it was a shambles. There was players closing space down. I mean, they're taught, they're taught about delaying. They're taught, they're taught about closing space. They're talking about sending people in a certain direction. Um, horrendous honestly i just the things i was watching senior play players do from callas to um i don't know what well, even even Cundy towards the end of the season one of the games where he got bought off just tiny little things that you're taught at a very early age of how to get your body right i mean obviously zach Viner would be another one because there was sort of individual errors as well um and it was just for me bristol city last year were awful when it came to defending and the stats again don't lie i mean when you're you're sixth um in the league for goals scored and second i think it's second from bottom um for goals against that tells you where the work needs to be be done and i think the midfield are as much to blame as the um as the defenders yeah neil um thomas callas was out for the last half a dozen or so games having uh, hip surgery um should we expect more from a player that cost us eight and a half million? He didn't want. He said he didn't want to be captain the previous year. It affected his game. Um, he had a variety of partners alongside him. Um, Seventy-seven goals conceded. 
and as I said uh, a moment ago, we've got two former high-quality defenders in Nigel and Curtis Fleming organising things. Into to, where, where, what's, where did it go wrong? <laughs> there was it, nothing right about where did, it. Where did it go wrong? 77 right. goals conceded is ridiculous. Um, okay. Neil, very quickly, sorry, can I just, just one other thing. Just talking about this subject makes my blood boil. As a defender, it's, it was at times awful. Sorry, Neil, I'm not... I'm no, 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 of course, Chris. It, it, it makes me really angry to, have, to see how bad we were last year. Um, and, and that is, is it a lack of desire? Is it a lack of professionalism? Is it a lack of, you know, want, wanting to win a game? It used to really it used to really hurt us as fans leaving the ground. I, I used to be covering the game, whether I was there as a fan or as there as covering with um, Radio Bristol. I used to be shaking my head as I left the ground. Um, so massive amount of work to do there on the defensive side. Now I'm going to hand it over back. No, 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 there you go. He's a oh. pro. It makes him. And makes you, know, you, just, you don't see any finger. You didn't see any finger wagging when goals were conceded. I mean, it's it's Chris just talked about desire, but surely it's down to the manager and the coaching to instill desire and organisation at the back. Well. I think the thing for me, I, I got to under 18 level in football when I was younger on the county side. So I didn't go to so you're not very Chris, Chris's it's better than me, but you're not yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go against Chris's ex-professional view on it. But for me, if we deal with the Callas situation, first of all, Callas for me is not an organiser at the back. Mm. He is a fantastic, he is arguably our best defender. But what he is, he works alongside an organiser, a leader. So when he was playing with Webster back in the day, a few years mm. ago, the two of them were arguably our best centre for one pairing season. for mm. one season since the seventies, you know, yeah. since the first division mm. days. Mm. And of course, Webster finished top, and he gets his dream move. With Callas, what I see is he gets distracted. He tries to, uh, it affects his performance. He tries to make amends for other people's mistakes. So rather than focusing in on his own mistakes, he'll be looking at if he's playing alongside Zach Viner yeah. or something like that, he'll be thinking, well, Zach's going to make this mistake. I need to cover for Zach. And then he'll forget about what is the key element. And that's focus on what you need to be doing first and foremost. Don't worry about the other player. Let that other player worry about his that about his own performance. So then throughout the course of the season, you'd be seeing this, this whole sort of collective at the back that nobody took authority. Nobody actually was communicating with one another. There was no talking. We were just quiet because I think Rob Atkinson, looking at him, he's really come on the last few months, but he's quite a quiet person. Yeah. And what I've noticed, Dave, from the Dolman, where I sit in S30, um, E32, Tim Close. Tim Close is a leader yeah. at the back. And Tim Close talks to people. Yeah. And he organises people. And what we did, the one thing that was tantamount throughout the course of the season, up until the last sort of 10, 12 games, passive. We were so passive. Mm. So passive. And you could tell 
Nigel as an ex centre back was just like, come on, you know, the amount of times people would stroll through us or they'd be getting mm. free headers in or whatever, the crosses coming into the box. Or people no were dribbling contact. through our box and stuff yeah. like that. And, and what changed is he brought in three guys. And okay, it's not the prettiest football at the back at the, at the time, you yeah. know, you've got three people that really were the turning circle of the Titanic at times. Although I think Atkinson, to his credit, is a little bit better than that. Yeah. But they're not passive. They don't let people walk through them other than that goal against Huddersfield. The other when day with Atkinson went down on one yeah, knee, which was, was very weak. Very unlike us. Yeah. But up until that point, you know, you've got a leader in at the back. And for me, the key signing of the summer has got to be Tim Close. Yeah. You take Tim Close out, and who is going to replace Tim Close in that, uh, he, in that well, back there you go. I mean, Chris, do you agree with that? Tim Close was probably the best signing, one of the best signings Nigel's made. And we got to get him for another year, really, haven't we? Yeah. Or if he doesn't sign, because, you know, why hasn't he signed yet? Because currently a contract's been offered. Curtis Davis, at age 37's name's been mentioned and ever present for Derby last season. That would get hoots of derision from certain sections of the fan base. But do you agree that Tim Close, inspirational signing, and we must get him? And what about Curtis Davis as a possible alternative? Don't work for me. What do you think? Well, if, I think just just going back to one of Neil's points, I think as a centre half, you probably do overcompensate for inexperienced players around you. I mean, I remember towards the end of my career playing with younger lads, and you do try to cover the space behind them to protect them, and sometimes you do make yourself look a little bit silly by um, by by covering spaces you wouldn't normally do with a alongside a decent player. More experienced player, um, so Neil's probably very correct in that manner uh, regarding Alas. The closer, I think he was he's comfortable on the ball. Uh, much pressure when the ball comes into the box. Um, <clears throat> again, likewise with Cundy, big strong lad, knows his limitations. Um, a physical, uh, a big physical um, specimen. He's not afraid of a tackle. Um, but going back to some of the defending again this season, I remember one game where one team passed the ball around the edge of the box and Bristol City just didn't get close enough. Mm. We just, we were just running around trying to close spaces and the team just kept passing the ball around us. And it was a matter of how many shots or when they would shoot before um, the move broke down. And it was just... It was just very, very poor. And Bristol City have really got to start working on that. But, um, you know, as for bringing further older players like Curtis Davis, um, I'd be a little bit surprised. They've got to be honest with you. Um, I think he's tried the uh, the experience route um, and got it wrong with Danny Simpson. Um, that didn't really work out. Um, Andy King really hasn't worked out, although I know he's becoming a member of staff now and perhaps a player coach. Um, I think you need some young lads, uh, mid-20s, um, with a certain amount of experience who really want to take the step up into the championship, who've still got you know, the, the fire in their belly with a point to prove. And um, although we always talk about location, location, location when it comes to pr uh, property, I think it's all about recruitment, recruitment, recruitment when it comes to buying the right players because... Bristol City have struggled in that department over the last couple of years. No, they have. 
They have. And we've already been out and done some shopping. I mean, do you have any uh, insight on the lad uh, Sykes? I mean, there was an article in Bristol Live where, you know, he had a, a golden season last season, record number of assists, I think eight assists and a few goals. But equally, you know, there was the word inconsistent. And is he a right back? Is he a right wing back? He can do both. But they're two very different uh, positions. I mean, have you got any insight on Sykes at all? We've got our business done early in his respect, haven't we? Yeah, I was quite impressed with that. It was quite a quick move, obviously done very early. He's out of contract, so we had to move quickly. Um, I don't know anything about the young lad. Um, but it's ironic that he's come from Oxford just after we release um, Callum O'Dowder, who obviously we got from the same club. Um, I think he's... I, whether I read the article right, he, he may have come from Ireland as well. Another similarity, similarity to Callum. Um, you know, going going on on with that subject, I really like Callum. I thought he was going to be someone that we could really rely on when he signed a new contract and turned down the advances of Leeds United and other teams that were um, were meant to be interested. Allegedly, I have to say, allegedly there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, his, his agent would have done a good job, I must admit, but we had already left, we had already lost Luke Ayling there. So um, whoever was working on behalf of uh, Callum did a very good job on Bristol City on that occasion. But I think Callum O'Dowder has got a huge amount of ability, but he's probably on very high wages. And um, when he's given us the, the return that he has over the last two seasons with all his injuries, I think it was the right thing to do although I'll miss him because I know he's got the potential to be a very good championship player. Yeah, let's uh, move on to that retain list that's come out. And I'll come to you first, Neil, and we talk about uh, Cod. Let's hope where Sykes and Cod, the similarity ends with them both speaking with an Irish accent because six seasons at the club, uh, Callum uh, promised so much, but in reality delivered so little. Now, he'd probably end up at Cardiff or somewhere like that and start scoring some goals and showing a little bit of metal that he didn't show for us. He used to get unnecessary bookings, concede the odd penalty, I can mm. think, in numerous away games. But first of all, it was no surprise him being released, was it? And not even offered terms at a reduced rate. Did that surprise you that he got nothing and he's out the door? No, it didn't surprise me. No, I think, I think we're... What what obviously next season with so many players out of contract in the summer 2023, there's going to be a large cull. I mean, this was not the summer where there's an, a number of people out of contract. And of course, the Martin was out of contract, but he got a new another year yeah. due to uh, the contract exercise, which is probably a good thing for us, given the season that he's had. He might have had other offers yeah. elsewhere. So that sort of ties that in. But... Um, no, I, I think the thing with Callum is that, uh, you know, he's done some fantastic things in the past in the City mm. shirt and scored some fantastic goals. And, you, and you're thinking, right, you've shown that standard. You're an international player. Let's show it consistent, consistently. And it just wasn't, it wasn't there. I mean, it, it, in some ways, I go back to a point I've made on the forums a little bit over the years with Masengo. Masengo second half against Millwall and then pressing away, two great assists, and you think, okay, kick on from there. And every time you thought with Cod, he's going to kick on, yeah. he regressed. And, and he so, went back in. And, and somebody and showed a clip of Cod saying on his day he could do it. And they showed on his day the goal at Norwich. 
bloody four years ago now. For yeah, I mean, but let's get let's get back. Yeah. I say we've done we've done cod to death. Let's get yeah. back on the uh, the retainers. Louis Britton's gone. No surprises there. Barney Sodi again. That I seem to recall was maybe one of the players of the future a few years ago. He's not kicked on, but the the key thing coming out of yesterday's interview with Nigel is that there are four players that he said they don't have a future at the club in his plans. He didn't name them, but we've all been speculating. Taylor Moore, Zach Viner, Casey Palmer, and then the fourth one is unknown, but you'd have thought Naki Wells, and he's come out and said, I want to keep Naki Wells here. So I'm guessing that has to be Tyree Backinson. So maybe Mark Ashton will do the decent thing and take him off our hands. So... Those four, they're under contract, but they're going to sit on their backsides and do nothing unless they go out on loan. What do you think? Well, uh, it was an interesting one with that. I, I have to go back and listen to Pearson again because I, I'm aware of what people say when he said there's four. But just in case he didn't mean those four that he was released, it was exactly the same number that got released as he was saying there's four people that hadn't. Hmm. So we need to be careful of whether or not he was talking about the four that have been released, as in I've told those four people that have been released. Um, Which is Britain, Sodi, Cardam, one other player, Kari Allen, I think, or something Yeah, Kari Allen. What's your take on that? Sorry, I don't think it was, Neil. I think these are four players in contract or with a year or option that he has told won't fit into his plans next year. I, I think the other one will be Taylor Moore, maybe, because I think he yeah. has another year left on his contract. Um, yeah. So, Baconson, Taylor Moore, Zach Viner, um, and who was the other one you mentioned? Katie Palmer. Well, yeah, that's a formality. I still think there's one more. Uh, I think there's still one more in there somewhere. Um, well, then we start, sorry to interrupt, Chris, but then we start looking at summer next season you know this this time next year when all those players are out of contract because if these players won't sign new terms now they walk out the door in 12 months time for nothing and thomas callas dan bentley fall into that category and jada silver you know have we really got to be saying to thomas callas now here is a new deal sign it or you're off well, I, I think I think we need Del Boy at the club at the moment for the amount of wheeling and dealing that needs to be done. It must be one of the most intricate seasons um, for a CEO like uh, um, Gould to sort out because there there is lots of aspects. I mean, I don't know if you heard the the whole interview yesterday, but he did say um, Nigel Pearson did say that he wasn't going to go too far away from his phone because you know it's one of those seasons where. Um, he's going to have to be on call at any time because there's going to be big, major decisions to be made and, and flips of coins, really. He's going to have to bring bring wages in or get people off the off, off the salary um, to bring other players in. There's going to be other players that he might not want to sell, that he might have to sell to to bring other players in. It is, it is a real merry-go-round of, uh, of situations that have got to be considered. And I wouldn't want to be in that club this uh, summer because it's going to be full of uncertainty. And come August the 1st, sorry, July the 1st, when they, they return for pre-season training, you want to have your squad almost in place. Yeah. Neil? I mean, financially, it's a nightmare, isn't it? I mean, Richard Gould oh, said... absolutely. Um, Richard Gould said... Okay, well, the budgets aren't going to be reduced. We're going with the same budgets, and then it kind of changed halfway through the uh, the interview into the fact that we're in negotiations with the EFL over the FFP. We've put a proposal forward, 
and all the rest of it. And he was asked the question, well, when is that? When are you going to hear back from them? Well, there's no dates, but they need to let us know by the 10th of June when the transfer window opens, and then we'll have to review it. So even on this, if we stand still mm. moving into the season, we don't know whether the EFL are going to accept our FFP proposals with regard to it. There's going to be, it's very muted, it's going to be a change. But then you've got our premiership players or Kelly on the way, Kelly, Webster, Brownhill. If any one of those moves for any decent money, then the sell-on from that totally changes the financial perspective of the, of this, of the summer. And then you've got the four people that you want to sign on, Bray. And then you've got your four people, that your, your Scots, Masengo, Semenos and Byman, your four most sellable assets, mm-hmm. which you sell one of those, then that might free that up three or four players yeah. potentially. And then you've got all of your 2023 players that you're having it to is. renegotiate. It is. So it is what as Chris said. And we have no and we have a and we have a manager that says, I don't get involved in the transfers. Yeah. And then we've got <laughs> a very good chief executive, yeah. but who spent the last 15 years in a totally different professional support where there aren't the sharks, that is the agent population. Chris, I mean, we don't have, I mean, I think Richard Gould is a he's a lovely guy and he's a vast improvement on the previous chief executive but we we've he's he can't have the football now that somebody like Walsh who Pearson had with him at Leicester had or some of these other clubs that employ directors of football it was interesting in Huddersfield we'll talk about them in a moment but they they were talking about their coach um, working with a gentleman whose name escapes me right now handled all their transfers and I've got a list of those we'll come on to that in a minute but do we really need a director of football to sort, I won't call it a mess, but to sort out this spider's web of intricate off-the-field wheeler dealing that needs to be done? Um, a director of football, I, I, I don't really know because, it, I mean, what, what you really need is someone to concentrate on transfers and, and they tend to come six months apart, don't they? You know, these, mm. these, these transfers come... They're, they're, they're very narrow windows and don't get me wrong i'm sure you do a lot of work a month before and each time this this arises this period arises in december and whenever and then again at this time of year you're looking at the squad and there's lots of things that, lots of meetings to be had lots of agents to sit down lots of players to talk to i know all that but i i don't think you need a director of football what you need is a very clear um, plan from Nigel Pearson on the players he wants mm. wants to keep wants to go and purchase or want to bring into the club you then need to look at the contracts and the players that you have and as Neil just said there's there's three or four, four different aspects that you need to take into consideration this summer and I, I that job is the hardest job this this season at Ashton Gate is to to formulate a squad moving forward with all the moving parts yeah, no, it's it's I, uh, it, I, it is I, a difficult one. I mean, let's talk about potential outgoings. Neil just said, that, you know, our saleable assets. I don't think Masengo. I think he's gone anyway. Yeah, yeah I think he'll probably end up going back abroad. I said, uh, if you're Andy Vyman's agent, twenty-two goals, ten assists. You've just signed a contract at reduced terms, and from Bristol City's perspective, that'll probably take Andy up to age. 
33. But if you're his agent, you're going to get tapped up by maybe a relegated club or a club with still got parachute payments. What price, Andy Vyman, uh, to, you know, what, what is an acceptable price for Andy Vyman in today's market? Because it could happen, couldn't it, Chris? Somebody comes along and says, we'll have him. And if this is his last big payday, if he chooses to move now, and he's getting a very uh, authentic interview on uh, one of the uh, fans' um, TV platforms this week, he's an authentic guy, he's a nice guy, but he's got to look after his longer-term future. And he could possibly double his wages because when he signed that contract last summer, he didn't know how he was going to be after that ACL injury. So what do you think? Vyman, what's a fair price in a depressed market, an uncertain market? And could it I happen? Think I, I think very, very, very possibly. I mean, I hate to speculate and, and, and put a bit of fear into Bristol City fans seeing their player of the year disappear, but £5 million for a 31-year-old, Bristol City might consider it. I mean, again, it all comes down to Andy Vyman. If Andy Vyman thinks that Bristol City have been good by him, offered him a contract when he uh, had issues with his injuries and his ACL, which can be a, a career make or break. Um, he might feel as if he owes Bristol City. He might be very happy in the city, um, having performed the way he did last year and and come up with those kind of figures that we discussed earlier with all those goals and assists. Um, he might feel as if, you know, happiness sometimes is more, more important than money. And um, he's got young children, so they might be settled in in schools his wife might be happy um so he's got a lot to think about but when you're 31 and you've only got a few more years and you've you've just had probably the best season in your life um or in your career um a decent offer um from a, a club maybe um might turn your head and um yeah i wouldn't be surprised if some someone comes up with an offer for him because football always seems to shock us all and uh yeah, it'd be very sad to see him go, but no, it wouldn't surprise me at all if someone did. Yeah, make and up play. there with the outgoings on the uh, transfer side of things, I mean, Semenyo, I mean, in the interview yesterday, Nigel Pearson says he expects interest in Semenyo, but it's going to cost somebody a lot of money. Um, what price would you put on Semenyo's head? Or indeed, what price would Bristol City take? Because selling well, any of those prize assets could negate the FFP issues. But what's a what's a fair price for Semenyo in today's market, in your view, uh, Chris? See, I, I, I think personally, although Weimann has scored all these goals, we could replace him. I think there's a young gun somewhere in the, in the Division One or... Uh, a very hungry young man somewhere below where we could replace Vyman if we had to. Semenyo for me is the real deal. Absolutely fantastic. He's just, I mean, the last game of the season at home, I, I was covering it again for Radio Bristol and I, I couldn't give him enough, enough compliments. He, he was frightening. He, he makes things happen even when the opposition have the ball. He closes down quickly. Mm. When he gets the ball now, he runs into the channel where the spaces are. He's dangerous with the ball at his feet. Um, what would you say? 15 million? With, with yeah, I mean, I, I, somebody said on the forum last night, 20 million. I think that's a little bit ambitious. But I think 15. Yeah, I think 15. I think they'd even... 
again, sell-ons is a lot of it. Um, Neil, I mean, Neil, what do you think? You 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 raised an eyebrow when Chris said only five million for for Vyman, for Vyman yeah. and Chris has said fifteen for Semenya. I mean, what what do those two? Well, Vy Vyman is 31, 5th of August. Just check that. Uh, so he's 31 a month into the season. Or, no, sorry, a week into the season. What you're buying with Vyman, I think, is if there's any clubs, the clubs that come down, the Watfords, the Burnley, Leeds, if they're coming down into the championship, Norwich, Norwich perhaps, with it, you're buying somebody to get you out of that division. So you know you've probably gotten for about two years. You buy him for 10 million, so say, or you put an offer in 8 million or whatever. You know you've got a decreasing return realistically. Mm. A bit like when we bought Naki Wells. <laughs> very much. A Naki Wells. <laughs> very, very good analogy. Yeah. Very good analogy. With Semenyo, what I've seen from him this year is that he has been playing against. Premiership defenders in some games, the Sheffield United game being a good case in point. John Egan, Chris Basham, those are defenders that have been playing in the Premiership for, for two years with Sheffield United. He absolutely, he terrorized them. Te absolutely terrified them. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. That that quick, those quick throwouts, yeah, he had a I think Bentley's been a bit quicker with his distribution yeah. and being told to yeah. speed up his distribution, but he's got pace, power. Um, Christ, you know, he's he's a frightening prospect, mm. really. And and then in some ways, you go back to two, three years ago when Chelsea put the two million bid in. Chelsea must have seen something in them then the potential of mm. him as a nineteen-year-old, a nineteen, twenty-year-old to make the bid. And I think at times over the last few years, we probably as a club probably regretted not taking that two million pound bid when he went on loan to Sunderland and when we're. Yeah, touts him around these places, and when he's when he first came into the team after he came back from Notts County, he looked completely lost. You know, he yeah. looked like that SGS schoolboy who hadn't been through an academy, wasn't yeah. used to playing in systems, and looked a lost shepherd boy out on the pitch. Do, do you think, Chris, that I'm giving I'm overpraising to say that he's got traits of Antonio of West Ham? And interestingly, with Rob Newman being head of recruitment at. West Ham under uh, under David Moyes, you know that's the sort of Premier League club that might come in for him. Mid, mid, West Ham, Crystal Palace, that type of um, mid-ranking Championship. Well, that's a bit unfair to West Ham, but you know, do, do, do you see that comparison with Antonio that I'm making? Because he can roll a player. I think when we played up at Stoke, you know, he showed what he can do up there. Absolutely. Where he, you know, he's got the physical. He's got all the attributes. The two. I know we got. Gubbed at Fulham 6-2, but one of the goals he got there, in fact, he scored both, both there, cracking goals, yeah? I mean, he's he's the biz, and he came back after that little injury just before Fulham. the end of the season, Perfect. yeah? Perfect. And, um, you know, he, he made a couple, he scored a couple more, and, and Neil's just said maybe Fulham could be interested in him, although Mitrovic might have something to say about that, although he's never proven himself at the highest level. What do you think, though? Sorry, Grace, I've rambled on a bit there. That, that comparison with Antonio and West Ham or Palace being the right sort of club for him? I think he's got tremendous upper body strength, just like Antonio. So I can see the similarities. Um, I think he's probably a better, he's better on the ball than Antonio, to be honest. He's got a bit a, a bit more in his locker. He's got some good tricks. He's, he's got good ball control. Um, 
you know, and that's not knocking Antonio, but in any way, because he's been a um, he's been a big success himself, hasn't he, this season? But I I, I think with with Semenyo, I think um, Bristol City will take take a long look at what what is going to happen. They kind of expect to lose him at some stage because um, we are a feeder club to the bigger the bigger ones up the food chain. Um, but maybe West Ham, I think, would be too big a step for um, for Semenyo. I think they they've got bigger dreams, um, especially having been in Europa League this year. Yeah. They've got they've got very deep pockets. Um, maybe a Crystal Palace or a Fulham, like you mentioned. Because um, what you don't want to do, you don't want to be an Alex Scott or a, a Semenyo and go to one of these big clubs and get lost in their under 23s, hardly playing, kicking your heels, not not gaining experience. And then finding your career going backwards because you haven't had that run of games and you haven't had that Saturday feeling each Saturday, um, each week. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I think with someone like Alex Scott, even we haven't discussed him yet. He's one of those lads who who if we, we ever decide to sell him, I would like to loan him back for a couple of seasons to give yeah. him some some no, championship he is, only, experience. he is only 18, isn't he? And let, let's talk about Scott because we'll lead that conversation into what shape does Nigel Pearson want to play? Now, before we mention Scott, Naki Wells, Nigel, in the interview, he did say, I want to keep Naki Wells, which, you know, he's high. if you look at the wages of Wells and Palmer, goodness me, if you could shift those two out, you could probably replace them in this current market with better players. But uh, Naki Wells being kept and... You know, when you've got WSM, he's 32 in August, is Naki. I've just checked. We're always accused of being <laughs> factually inaccurate on FBC podcasts by certain people, but I've checked Indeed. Naki Wells' age. Um, he was pointed in saying keeping Wells, yet he hardly ever played him. What's, what's your view on that? And then we'll talk about Scott. Naki Wells. Oh. Sorry, Chris. Sorry. Um, well, Naki Wells is, you know... He, he played with some very, very good players at QPR. Eze, who for me proved his worth when he went to Crystal Palace. He he was, I mean, I watched a QPR play against Bristol City that season a few times, and Eze was unpicking defenses with his with his vision and his passes. And he's gone into the Premier Division and carried on doing the same kind of thing. Um, so Naki Wells has a, a lot to thank Eze for. Um, and he's obviously a very good player, but he's on very, very big wages. He's probably our top wage earner. Um, he, he's a, but he's been a good pro. I watch him. I watch him when the ground empties on a on a Saturday afternoon, and some of the players are, are left behind to do their training in private. And he's always the one at the front. For me, that that always shows what a great pro he is regardless regardless of his age he's one to keep want to keep himself fit he's still hungry yeah. um and nigel pearson knows that if he, he needs an extra forward um and he's already got three very good forwards there's always a fourth one to come on and i think you always need one more one or two more forwards to step into the breach if you need them. And if he can keep Naki Wells, that'd be amazing. Yeah, and you talk about young forwards, Tommy Conway, right. Sorry, and, and let's look at Alex Scott, right. Does Alex Scott feature in your opening lineup for next season? And what is, as you see it, Chris, the best, the way Nigel wants to play? Because the WSM, Sorry. the WSM has been a bit 
you know, Chris Martin plays week in, week out, and we don't appear to be able to change. Well, <laughs> that's not true. We do change the shape inside in, within matches. So I'll get back to my original question. It's me rambling again. Does Alex Scott feature in your opening lineup next season? And then you tell me what you, you think your side is around him, shape-wise. Chris? Um, definitely. Definitely for me, Alex Scott would play behind that, that three players up front. He would be my, um, my second number 10, maybe sharing the workload with Vyman, who would sit back in midfield when... Um, went out of possession. Um, okay. Alex Scott for me is just, he's, he, he, for someone who's only 18, he fills me with, I, I just look at him and he fills me with such happiness because I cannot believe there's an 18 year old kid out there with so much knowledge of the game. I mean, mm. we were just talking about Semenyo and his lack of understanding as a young kid and it's come to him later on. For Alex, Alex Scott is the complete opposite. He just grasps. I mean, he's been played out of position so many times this season. We, we, we're discussing where his best position is, and he's only 18. But for me, he was the find of the season, probably the best player on the pitch at times. Um, he's been obviously shuffled out to the right, which he doesn't favour, and he still never lets us down. I think he's only had one poor game all season. Um when he's been used. And for me, I would build a team around the young lad because he's okay. got a massive future. So he's in there behind WSM, but with Andy Vyman dropping back. I'm interested in what goes on behind around there, him. Then, because okay. you've well, got... I, I, I would play Williams alongside him uh, yeah. and, and one other, one other very energetic um, uh, midfielder, maybe someone with um, James's, James's um, experience, but a lot more mobility. So you have Creative. three. Although uh, no, because Scott's got the creativity, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. So so William. And okay. You, so but that's lending itself to a four-three-three, then, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And then all right. So what's your back four? What does your back four look like then? Because that's no wing like, backs in that. So what what what's the shape of the side behind? We've got one unnamed position, which could be a key signing there. So A and other Scott Williams, what's behind there in a in a four? Well, I would have two centre halves, obviously, with two wingers, two 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 attacking fullbacks. I would say who are willing to join in midfield and get forward. Okay, Does, um, I mean it is unfortunately it is it is the gut the gut breaking positions. I mean the the gut busting positions of the fullbacks. They're expected to join in when the ball. But I would like to see uh, another right back in the club. Another left back in the club. Um, if 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 you can't decide who's going to play that left side, whether it's Pring or uh, or De Silva, um, I, I would and I would like you know as I said I've mentioned I don't think um, James is uh, is mobile enough in in, in defence to play that midfield position, um, especially if we play um, Scott further forward. Yeah, no, that's interesting and right back as a conventional right back which allegedly Sykes can play let me come to you then Neil because yeah. we've gone for 4-3-3 which allegedly and people say oh it flexes you know and, and, and in fact Chris has already said with with Vyman dropping back to bolster up it almost becomes like a 4-4-2 if Wyman's the one of the two that drops back mm. but again we're keeping Martin up front what does the shape look like to you for next season 
Because that, to me, that's quite cut and dry what Chris said there. I think it's... Look, ultimately, we're, we're the sixth or joint sixth highest scorers in a division, and we finished 17th. Mm. If we are going to improve ourselves as a team, fundamentally, we have to improve ourselves defensively. There's absolutely, Even if the WSM has another fantastic... We're able to keep it together and we're able to get the same sort of production level which we won't. I'll, I'll say why we won't, because I went to the Huddersfield game and I could see exactly, they put Russell on Vyman, man-marked in the entire game, took him out of the equation. So straight away, better teams next season, top 10 teams that we didn't necessarily get that many points mm. off this mm-hmm. year, the top 10. We did well against the bottom 12, not well against the top 10 in any shape or form. Better teams will suss out WSM. Yes, yeah, Semenyo's got aspects to it but Vyman's not going to score tw- I'm going to go on record now Vyman is not going to score 22 next season so moving forward on that defensively we have to be better I think both of our fullbacks if we are playing fullbacks and we're not looking for attacking wingbacks and that's a decision for Nigel for playing fullbacks we've got to be better defensively haven't we mm. I like Atkinson I think he's really grown the last couple of months, really come into his own. He obviously had illnesses and injuries that set him back, but I think he's got to be one of the centre-backs. I'm not sure about Jay defensively. No. Well, that's physicality as well. And I come to Chris's point that's quite well made about a left-back, and he's not sure about Pring. I thought Pring had a a decent spell in the side, actually, and made a difference when he played, but he's not a wing-back either, really. And as a full-back, so I think we need to improve at in both fullback positions, but part of improving in those fullback positions is having an energetic fullback that gets out to stop the crosses coming in. Mm. We were too passive and we for a number of seasons now. So too many crosses coming we in. We never got enough out. crosses in ourselves, though, did we? Absolutely. So, okay. so I think I would Scott in the centre for me, Huddersfield, when first time in months when he got on the ball and he brought Tanner in for Masengo. Mm allowed Scott to get back in the centre straight away. He gets the ball. His first movement is forward. Yeah. It's positive. It's forward facing. He's not looking to get the ball and pass it to one of the centre backs or pass it sideways Mm. or whatever. He turns, he moves forward. He adds another dimension in the centre of the park. And I completely understand the Williams angle. If we can get the Williams that we want Mm -hmm. alongside, for me, Matty James at the moment is caught in almost like a Masengo type thing. Is he a defensive midfielder? Is he an attacking And why do we let him take all the dead what, ball situations? Yeah, because what, he's the most experienced What sort of player? midfielder is he? If, we, if we're saying we're getting a shielding midfielder and we're having a defensive, Scott goes, Williams... I, th- I think we back. need somebody with legs. I think we need somebody with legs. So that's a key Maybe that's position. where Sykes has come in. Maybe, yeah, on that right side. Um, okay, just want to sort of wrap up a bit. I mean, we all saw uh, Huddersfield... Uh, Better coached, I think, was the reason when they, they beat us. us. They, they outran, outran us. us. They, they've got um, they've got shape. They seem to know what they're doing. And I took a screenshot of uh, the TV screen. It was the first leg, and it was transfers this season that Huddersfield did. And you know, Lee Nichols, MK Dons free, Tom Lee, Sheffield Wednesday free, Turton Blackpool free, Daniel Sinani loan from Norwich, Matty Pearson Luton free, Colwell Chelsea loan. Jordan Rhodes scored the winner for uh, Huddersfield to put them in the final three. John Russell, Chelsea, free, inspirational signing. 
Josh Ruffles, Oxford free. Uh, Andrew in on loan from Chelsea. Somebody else on loan from West Ham, Odu Beku. Carl Etting, uh, uh, free from Genk. And Jamal Blackman, uh, another free transfer. I mean, how possible is it? Uh, well, two questions, Chris. Should Nigel look at the loan market in a couple of these positions that we see questionable? And Huddersfield, who actually finished below us last season, yeah, factually, I'm doing yeah. a fact check. Neil's agreeing with you there. 20 Should we look at the loan market and can we do a Huddersfield? Do you feel confident that with the right signings we could do a Huddersfield? Chris? David, I've got to be honest with you, I'm not a great fan of the loan market myself. And I know Nigel Pearson has taken a lot of stick for that. Um, I don't like, I don't like um, the fact that you actually make other players better and give other, other clubs players um, a chance to um, uh, gain experience when all of a sudden we've chucked a few of our own players in um, and, they've, and they've stepped up and taken the opportunity like Scott and Masengo and Benarus. They've all stepped up this year when if you've got a lone player blocking their, their route into the first team, they don't have that opportunity. So I'm, I, I'm slightly anti-loan um, okay. from, yeah. from the big guns. Um, as for all those signings that Huddersfield have made, fantastic. I mean, what, I mean, their recruitment guy must be very proud of his achievements this year. And um, as we, you know, as we said earlier, it's all about recruitment and getting the right people in. It's there's no secret, is there? If you if you end up selling Bobby Reed or you end up selling whoever we've had at the club over the last three, well, three or four seasons, and then we bring in the Casey Palmers of this world, we're not, we're never going forward, are we? We're going to go backwards. <laughs> so uh, it's 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 very important. The person who makes those acquisitions um, got to do the homework. I mean, there's some great players out there, but I've played with really good players in the past and their heads aren't in the right place. You only got to lose a couple of percent of, of their desire to not be as effective where they've been at other clubs. And um, you've got to get the right players at the right time into your club when they're 22, 23, 24, hungry, ambitious, with so much desire it hurts and um, just give them the opportunity. Go and get this scouting network, you know, as far wide as you can and get the right players into the club. And then hopefully Bristol City can do what exactly what Huddersfield And they've got to be and they've got to be better than what we have. I mean, Neil, um, Chris has said not a fan of the loan market. Our track record in it has been uh, <coughs> is mixed at best. And do you feel confident that we we could do a Huddersfield in 22-23? I understand where. Pearson's views, and I think Chris is right with regards to, you know, these premiership clubs that send you these players to train up and they have to be the right loans. You know, even if we're buying, getting somebody in with a view to a transfer, you know, um, later on down the line, it's like try before you buy almost, isn't it? For a season. And Jay De Silva fit that model. Jay De Silva, good case in point, you probably, they probably would have asked for a lot more money. The fact that Palmer costs, 1.5 1.5 more than Jay De Silva when we bought him, almost, you mm. know, in relation to it. But we dropped 
we dropped a massive clangor with right back this season, didn't we? Mm. We had 10 players playing in right back. Arguably, you took one of your most exciting talents and you've, you've had to stick him in at right wing back because you haven't got anybody else. Yeah. But he's got minutes on the pitch, which is a good thing. Good thing. You've had Vyman playing right wing back. Yes, he did. Times. And didn't let us down. Didn't let us down. But you've got Pearson in his... In his uh, Thing yesterday saying actually we we looked and yeah we, we've been short in some places with it so I, I think in January we should have got a loan at the right back position or the right wing back position because I think it it just threw out and then Tanner got injured obviously came back and then went off injured again didn't he and it it just threw out the team so the right loan at the right time but obviously over the years with City there's been wrong loans at wrong times mm. for this Ryan Kent, for instance, that mm. has come back to sort of haunt us. But uh, Tammy Abraham. Yeah, that was a successful you know, one. Yeah. You know, yeah, we trained him up. Yeah, we, you know, but that guy kept us up. He did. No, his and, goals and kept he us was, up and, struggle and he season. was fantastic. So, so, you know, realistically, I think the right time, the right place, and Gould alluded to it, didn't he? He didn't rule out premiership under 23 loans coming in, but... There's no point, Pearson's right and Chris is right, there's no point somebody just coming in who's not better than no. what we have. Okay. Good case in point, Duncan Idahan. Oh, we've not I've, mentioned him. I've, I've I'm going to see I'm gonna see the under-23s tonight, so he's obviously going to start. I, Are you, you going down for that one tonight, Chris, to see them, possibly? I did I did actually see them on advertised. I did fancy a, a, it's going to be a lovely warm evening. It'd be a nice... 7 o'clock, night. 7 o'clock kick-off. Free for season ticket Free holders. Free for season ticket holders. It'd be good to see. We, we've not Free. mentioned we've not mentioned Idahan, and he looks an athlete, doesn't he? Idahan came on at Huddersfield when Cundy went off injured. And for 25 minutes, just I'd like to see a player live. There's only so much you can mm. get. But obviously, he came on at Derby. He is a case in point scouting, isn't he? Mm. He's gone... Well, Tim saw him at Grimsby when he was watching one of the lads. Yeah, there, yeah. It? And it's just like, you know, case in point. But you see him and he has got enthusiasm and he wants to win and he's got a winning mentality. You can see why Pearson thinks, would look at this guy and go, blimey, you know. Mm. He's, he's, he's a big guy. He's quick. Yeah, he's still going to be learning. That's a really difficult position, isn't it, in the championship, you know, a centre-back or, or whatever. He can't but, play at left-back, can he? Um, so he's left of a three. Chris, would you, do you know enough about Idahan to say he's he's left-back or is he left of a three? I can't see him at left-back. I, I can't see him. He'd be too isolated out on the wing. Um, yeah. He's definitely left, left of a three, back three. I mean, we it's very unusual. We don't usually have... Um, many left footers playing at centre half, do we? But we got obviously we got we haven't even discussed Baker. Um, well, we, I, I but, mean, again, that's a I would say a taboo subject, but we can speculate on that. But you're right. I mean, we could have Baker, Atkinson, and Idaho, three pretty decent. I know one's barely played, but all the indications are it looks good. Three decent uh, left footed centre half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, guys, look. Um, Appreciate your time uh, today because we've all got <laughs> we've all got jobs to do. Uh, one left back name I just saw a little snippet it was Pedersen, who was who's not signed his contract at Birmingham, and he was a player that was going to be involved in a swap deal with Masengo about a year ago, if I recall correctly. So Pedersen's a left back, twenty seven years old. Don't know how good he is, but that's by the by. I'd have to look at his stats. For Neil's last got to look at the stats. But look, guys, thank you uh, for your time today. Doubtless we will come back. 
and preview the season when we know what the fixtures are, whether we've been raped and pillaged and lost all our stars, but are financially in a better place. Um, Chris, thank you for your time. Neil, thank you for yours. Load them all away. What if I've been unlucky? Really, I ain't got a thing. There's a time I always feel happy, as happy as a king. When the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he stops throbbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When Richard Robbins out, bob, bob, bobbing along. Red Robin come bob bob bobbing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts robbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When the red, red robin starts bobbing along.